Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Raghu, welcome to Strategic Financial Leadership. I'm excited to have you on the show today. So many questions for you, so let's jump in. Sure. So I, I guess where I want to begin is, can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? And did you believe, do you believe that it played a role in your professional path and where you're at so far in life? Like, did you know from a young age, okay, this is, this is the direction I want to head in, or has it been a lot more messy than that? Uh, to be frank, a lot more messy than that. When I was five years old or 10 years old, or I was thinking about my future, I wasn't thinking I was going to be sitting where I am sitting. But, you know, we are all creatures of our experiences. So our upbringing, our, you know, friends, our families, everything plays into uh, a part into what we become today. And from very early on, I realized that education was extremely important for my family. And so I went to college and got my degree and stuff. And, you know, I instilled that in my kids today. But um, the thing that you don't understand, you don't realize your parents are teaching you is the drive for success. And that is what, you know, when you look back, when, once you are at some level of success and you look back and you say, yeah, there was always that message that you need to succeed. You know, I, I have this sign in, in my house that says, whatever you are, be a good one. So it's not about what you're doing. It's about doing it right, doing it well. And that left a mark on me. And, and so all through my life, I have, uh, you know, somebody was asking me the other day, why do you work so hard? It's for success. It's not just monetary gain and things like that, which a lot of times people associate success with monetary gain. That's not how I look at it. Yes, uh, my upbringing has had an impact. You know, you don't realize what that impact is later on sometimes in life. Sure. I mean, were you interested in business from an early age? Yeah, my father um, had a business when I was growing up. Um, It was a liquor store. Um, We had the largest liquor store, wholesale and retail business in our state. So, you know, I kind of grew up around him. I used to go to the store. I used to go to business meetings with him and stuff. Even when I was 10, 15 years old, with hindsight, I am sure I picked up a lot of stuff. Just didn't connect with it because, you know, when you're 15 years old, what do you care about business or things like that? But then, you know, I did connect those dots and I did learn how to deal with various people and things like that. So, yes. So, okay. So you you go on and you get a degree in mathematics and accounting. So are you some type of numbers nerd like me? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, from early childhood, I was very interested in math. So my, a lot of my schooling is in math and and I got my first bachelor's degree in math. And then when I moved to this country, you know, I started going to school about 10 days after landing here 
and I took a computer science class and I took a accounting class. And the accounting just came naturally to me because it's like, yeah, two plus two makes sense. And, you know, you can put these things together. And yes, all of this is coming along very well. So that led me into an accounting career, an accounting degree here in the U.S. And uh, that's what is the genesis of my career, you know, being a controller, CFO of public companies, and then now being the CEO of a company that helps controllers and CFOs succeed. Sure. No, and, and that's great. And that's a great uh, mission there. So th- this podcast is all obviously about strategic financial leadership. And mm-hmm. we always talk about the typical CFO being this like numbers person who's like stuck in spreadsheets and they're like, you know, with their green shade on, you know, doing debits and credits and crunching numbers. And they're focused on like compliance and transactional activities versus like strategy, right? And like growth driven activities. So what's your perspective on the modern day CFO and how do you think strategy and like finance like correlate for you? And, you know, my thinking about CFO was more formed when I was uh, the controller for a public company. And yes, as a controller, you're a lot more into the numbers. You even have a pocket protector. Not that I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, you're a lot more into the numbers and uh, trying to make sure the books are closed and closed accurately and all that good stuff. But I always thought about not just like, okay, we got some cash, we got some AR, we got this, we got revenue. But what does it all mean? And, and how would a customer or a vendor look at you and um, address our relationship? How can you advance your relationship based on this financial data? Mm-hmm. And obviously, because I was working for public companies, not that, as a controller, I wasn't dealing with investors, but as I became the CFO, I was like, how would this investor look at this? What can we tell them about this? These numbers that we're putting out that changes their mind about how they look at us as an investment. And so for me, it was all about business. And for the longest time, I've been interacting with clients and vendors all my life because it is important for them to understand where you're coming from, not just, hey, yeah, we did X dollars in revenue or we're so profitable or we lost money last year. So what does it all mean? Mm -hmm. And if portray that properly. And that's that strategic thinker, correct? That's that looking out and saying, yeah, we think COVID is happening. So what does it really mean for our business? And what does it mean for everybody around us in our system? Oh, and I, and I like that. And it, and it's like understanding that story behind the numbers to make decisions. And I like how you said like advancing relationships, you know, with the numbers, instead of just being like, Hey, let me just report on the numbers. This is what it is or what it was, but like actually doing something with the numbers. I think that's really key. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I, so I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And, you know, when I, I talk to colleagues or friends or families, you know, I've been rethinking a lot of things in life myself. Okay. And um, when I was CFO of a company, I really focused on like driving results, like results orientation. Yeah. So I, I remember, you know, meeting with one of the presidents of the companies that um, reported up to me as CFO. And, you know, he was so frustrated. This guy was so frustrated. He's like, I'm working all these hours. You know, I'm missing out dinner time with my family because I'm working all the time and I'm just like grinding, grinding. I'm like, look, you know, like, that's great. Like, I appreciate you working so hard, but like you're losing money over here. Right. And so I said, it's not about like how many hours you work or the time card that you, you punch every single day, but it's really about the results that we drive. So I've been Mm -hmm. thinking a lot about like, okay, so how can I do things differently in my life and be more results oriented? But I think we live in this culture and there's like this stigma in business where it's like, Hey, if you're not grinding, 
And if you're not like working all these hours, you're a slacker. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's like, sometimes for me, I'm like, Oh man, I only work 60 hours this week. I feel like I'm a slacker, right? I'm taking off at like two yeah. o'clock on a Friday and I feel all bad. So it's like that mindset's like, where does that come from? And like, do you ever, have you ever experienced that where you, where you think to yourself, like, wow, if I'm not working really, really hard and like sacrificing so much and putting so much into work that I'm not successful and I'm, you know, playing hooky. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because this reminds me of a story in, in my life. And I was a fourth year person at Deloitte because at Deloitte, as you might know, we required to keep timesheet. Okay? We were required to report all our hours. One year I worked 3,000 hours. The average year is 2,000. And I did the math. It's about 11 hours per day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year. Yeah. So at the end of the year, it's time to discuss, you know, your past year's performance and stuff. And the partner in charge calls me in and says, hey, listen, we were planning to promote you to manager, but we're not going to do it. And I said, why not? He said, you put in all these hours without regard to what it does to work-life balance and not measuring the input, but just focus on the output and that kind of stuff. You know, you're, you're, do, you're focused on the wrong things. Sure. It cost me a year of promotion, but it taught me a very invaluable lesson, very valuable lesson that it's like, don't focus on the input. Don't take pride that you did 3,000 hours. Take pride that I could get it done in 1,500 hours, that somebody else takes 3,000. And so at Global Upside, we built a culture of we measure your output. So your timesheet might reflect 40 hours. It might reflect 20. It might reflect 60. The question is, if you're working 60, why so many? Sure. If you're working 20, why so many? So there is that discussion. But it is eventually focused on, are my clients calling and saying that, hey, Steve is doing an excellent job. I'm really happy he delivers. Everything happens on time. I really don't care if he works 20 hours. Yeah. You get it done, correct? And when you change that mentality, when you change your thinking, what happens is you build a stronger team. And that is part of that strategic thinking that how do I mold this company? Because you're a professional services company, how do I mold it into where people take ownership versus saying, oh, I've done my 40. It's not my problem. Sure. And I love that. And I, I love what you're saying, like with, you know, how you framed it with like input versus output, you know? Because I, I think that's so critical because, you know, otherwise we're just going throughout life. And I mean, that's, that's anything, like whether you're training to run a marathon or whether, you know, you're, you're trying to be a spouse or a partner or a parent or, you know, relationships with your friends, you know, like you can sit there and, and spend five hours with a friend, but the whole time you're sitting on a couch texting, you know, somebody else or you're scrolling through social media instead of spending a yeah. half hour with a friend at coffee. And the only thing that matters in the world is that person right then. It, it's that whole input versus output thing. And I, I yeah. think that's so spot on. So like, how, how does that, like that, that type of thinking, like shape you nowadays, like what, what you're doing in life to, to really drive value. I mean, because life is short, right? We're, we're both getting yeah. older and um, so it's like, how do we make sure that we live this fulfilled life by focusing on, on that output? And so what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the output has two concepts, uh, associated with it. One, one being the personal life and one being the professional life. So obviously you got to put in some hours to succeed either place. Uh, and you got to work hard. And like you said, don't be texting when you're with your wife, because that ain't going to make progress with her. Sure. Uh, Put it down, talk to her or whatever it is that you may want to do to move the ball forward. But when you think about what does it take, uh, you kind of have to prioritize. Neither can you spend 24 hours at work, nor can you spend that home. 
what is the most important thing if I have eight hours today or if it's a weekend and I have 16 hours today to, to spend with my family, what is the most important things that we may want to do together? A lot of us spend our time in not urgent, not important. Let's just get it done because it's easy versus urgent, important and hard. But if you don't get the hard things out, you're just never going to get there. And so putting your to-do list in that bucket and saying, yeah, if I never get to it, it won't really change the outcome, but let me just get this one thing done. Focus drives the input, and then the input drives the outcome. And then and when you whether whether it's at home or at work. And then trying to make sure that, yes, I could work another 10 hours this week and make some other progress on some something that's urgent and important. But does that really make that much of a difference in your life, in your work? and your relationship with your family. So maybe you need to come in home at a more reasonable time and spend. And work-life balance, I mean, yes, we've been talking about that for a long time in the media and whatnot. Uh, How many people really focus on it at an individual level? Forget at a company level, because companies obviously benefit the more you put in. Sure. Uh, But if you are not focused on it, sometimes employers may not care enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. And I, I think that's smart. So let me ask you this. So, you, so you're a controller of this company. You're probably putting in a ton of hours. You work your way up to CFO. You know, you're, you're doing a great job there. And then you make this switch, right? So like now you're, you're kind of in a different domain, even though there's some connectedness. And so tell me a little bit more about like that switch and then like your current company, Global Upside. Yeah, the switch, uh, obviously a controller is as different from a CFO as a CFO is from a CEO. So those are different roles and you kind of have to have a different mindset in just those three roles as an example, because what a controller needs to put out isn't quite the same that the CFO needs to put out or CEO needs to. And if, if I, as the head of, as the CEO of Global Upside, cannot give the strategic direction, cannot lead this team, we're not going to make progress. We're not going to get there ever. And so your mind, this has to be a paradigm shift of how you operate how you work, how you think about everything, talking to people, talking to not just people within the company, but outside the company, your clients, your vendors, your, your advisors, people that hold a leadership position in the industry, things like that. So you gather a lot of data, you synthesize, process it, and then you hopefully make a better decision for the better good of the company. So that's a very different role. And then, you know, talking to your important clients. Now, every client is important. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, only you have only so much time to dedicate to so many clients, right? You get the protective. Focusing on those things. And sometimes you actually have to focus on something internal, which is nobody will ever know about it, but has to be done. And has to be done right the first time. And so, so you got to focus on that and, and bring it all together. And, and, and that is what is most important as a CEO in my mind to, to lead the company. Sure. What about your mindset? Like if you go back to Ragu at 20 years old, right? And like Ragu today, like mindset is like the, the limiting factor, right? That, that limits our growth because we, we eventually we'll, we yeah. grow into like the mindset that we have. And it's interesting because there's all these things in the world and all these opportunities around us. But I think like when our mindset isn't there, when it's not as, as expansive as it should be or could be, um, that really holds us back. Do you agree with this? And like, how do you, how do you continuously like push your mindset to allow you to take advantage of these opportunities before you? Yeah, mindset, actually, actually, your mindset determines where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Are you a risk taker? Or are you not? 
are you willing to jump off a cliff or the edge without knowing what's below? And, and that's more a figure of speech. Well, I, I don't think anybody does that practically, but, you know, there's a figure of speech. And, and uh, if you do not have that mentality, you can rise up the ranks, but your eventual progress will be slowed, even starved at some point because you just aren't taking that leap of faith. You're just not doing things uh, that need to be done from a decision-making perspective, from a challenge perspective, from a, should we go down and start that business? Should we launch that product? Uh, what will it mean? Uh, will the market even accept this product? Uh, they're used to blue widgets. Should I do a green widget or not? Uh, things like that. So mindset is extremely important. And when you're 20, your mindset is very, very different because you're sort of indestructible. You're willing to jump off the cliff, not even think twice about it. You have to maintain that mindset, even when you are much older in a much senior position, but you have to, at that point, balance it out with doing some diligence of, okay, let's, we're going to go jump off that cliff, but let's just do some diligence into what is on the other end. Sure. And, and uh, because it's no longer just about you. When you're 20, most probably you're just a single contributor. When you are later in life, I'm leading a company with 1,500 employees mm-hmm. off the cliff and I you know, make a big splat. Guess what happens to those people? So mindset is still the same at Global Upside that we're willing to jump off a cliff, but we're just doing a little bit more diligence before we take that leap. Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. Yeah, being a little bit more strategic. So Global Upside, my understanding is you're involved in some private equity and M&A advisory. Yes. What what trends are you seeing in PE and M&A since COVID? Surely you're reading some of this, Steve, where the M&A activity has really, really picked up very strongly, even though there was a little bit of a slowdown in around the March, April, Q2 timeframe last year. Um, Because what is happening is, Yes, there are some companies in distress, but a lot of businesses are doing very well, even in COVID. Mm-hmm. And because they're doing well, and because you know, private equity obviously is looking at successful companies as well as you know, strategic buys or somebody who's in distress and things like that. But as the market turns and stuff, they're investing more and more dollars. There's a lot of there's billions of dollars sitting on the street just ready to be invested. Mm-hmm. E-firms are just very, very anxious to look at companies, invest in. I get calls almost once a week. Uh, we're not looking for money. We're not looking to sell. But you know, we're constantly dealing with these people because uh, they're like, yeah, we like this business. We like the space. We want to do this. But from a, from a more macro perspective, what we're seeing surely is that there are certain industries that are getting a lot more attention. Pharmaceuticals, one life sciences, correct? partly because of COVID, partly aging population and all that stuff, right? And there's a lot of investments going on in telecommunications uh, type companies because, again, we're all working from home. As you can see, I'm at home. I think you're in the office, but um, we we did open our offices last week. Today, I'm just uh, working from home. But 
you know, we need connectivity. We need sure. tools. We need tools to not just for productivity purposes, but also some companies are using tools for purposes of monitoring what their employees are doing. Because if you're in the office, I can see in your monitor just walking by what you're doing, playing a game or working or Facebook. And, but when I'm at home, you can't do that. Sure. Uh, you can't walk by my desk, but there are tools that allow you to do that. So there are certain industries for sure that are getting a lot more attention, a lot more investment, but the market is pretty hard from a PE perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we're saying the same exact thing. I mean, there's just so much dry powder and capital right now. Yes. And it's chasing fewer deals. So yeah, it's a very interesting environment. So let me, let me ask you this. So what role does HR, staffing, technology, all these things play into strategic finance? And, and how do you think these functions correlate to create this smooth growth-oriented business operations? So one of the things you get to focus on is, is where is growth coming from? Mm-hmm. And yes, growth means more revenue, but more revenue also needs, means you need more people to service that client base, um, whether it's manufacturing or professional service or whatever it is, you need more people. Where are people right now? We're all stuck at home for the last 18 months. And so what is most important when people are stuck at home is to be able to connect with them. And we're also hearing this um, great recession, resignation and things like that. What we're talking about is that because the market is starting to open up, the industry, the, the, the environment is starting to open up, a lot more people are quitting and they're looking for better opportunities. So it starts with an HR focus as to how do you retain these people? How do you provide them the tools, the engagement they need to interact with the company and feel be connected with the, their peers, their managers, their subordinates, so that they're not looking like, hey, I'm just a lonely guy sitting here in my home. I'm just going to go work someplace else where they have a better environment. Sure. Now, it starts with, like I said, HR focus, but it's quickly translates into a strategic financial discussion. So imagine if 20% of your population left. Now you got to go replace them. It's going to impact your business. Replacing uh, an employee or hiring just a brand new employee for a brand new position is very, very hard. You spend weeks, if not months, to write the JD, interview, find the right person. They give notice, they show up. Then you have to invest in them in training. How do we do things? How does this company operate? What is important or not important for us? This is somewhere between 60 to 120, 180-day process, six-month process. And then imagine if that guy leaves. Mm-hmm. All the investment you made of time and effort and money just went down the drain. Sure. That's exactly a strategic financial discussion. So once you find the people, actually back up even more. Before you go find the next candidate, you have a team that is supporting you. How do you manage them? How do you keep them engaged? How do you keep them very connected with everybody else in the company? What that does is that allows those people to stay, to see what this company means, this current employer means, and not leave. Mm-hmm. Don't leave. Your challenge is reduced quite a bit. Your financial burden of their departure is reduced quite a bit. And now what you can do is you can capitalize on that and build the next level of headcount, hire more people, grow your teams, grow your business. I love that. I, I think that's, I think that's spot on, you know, cause I believe like transformations and growth comes from high performing teams. It's like rooted in a high performing team. Absolutely. I mean, you could have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have anybody to execute it, it's just, 
it's on a piece of paper or in a slide deck. So yes. what do you think is like the biggest mistake organizations make when it comes to building and leading high-performing teams? Because I think if you talk to most business executives, like they get it, right? If you said, Ragu, hey, I think it's important to have a high-performing team and you're, you're telling this to an executive, they're like, yeah, no, duh, you know, come on, yeah. you know, like, wow, that that's so enlightening. So people get this, people want this, like, why the heck do they struggle so much with it? Well, I think, I think the, the drawback or the lack of focus is, is just that connecting the dots. So, you know, this dot is very important, high performance team, you mentioned it. And then the other side of it is what are we doing? Give this team as a team and motivated and provide, address their needs. Just as an example only, and when COVID hit, one of the things we did was, now God forbid, we, nobody's wishing that any employee dies on our team, but Global Upside went through and doubled the life insurance policy coverage that we have for all employees. Mm-hmm. Because if something happens, they understand. It's not just you that we care about. You have a bigger family that's going to be left behind. We care about them as much as we care about you. Sure. So there is motivation, there is connectivity that management actually is thinking about me first as an employee, but me broader, my family, the Bargava family, they're thinking about that. If they're thinking about that and then doing activities, correct? You, you have to have periodic activities that allow people to engage in that equivalent of a water cooler, right? Because you every day I go for coffee, there's somebody there getting coffee and I interact with them. Without an agenda, without anything to worry about. And it's just kind of like, oh, how are you? How are you? Why for kids? Or, you know, let me tell you what happened at my home yesterday. And things yeah. like that. And we have lost that opportunity because of COVID. Because we are on so many Zoom calls that we're like, oh. Right. Versus saying, oh, let me just Zoom in with Steve and say, hey, let's shoot the breeze a little bit. Let's go get a cup of coffee. And, and those are the things that are people are looking at. I mentioned earlier the tools that allow you to monitor your employees' performance on the laptop, on the computer. Great, you're doing it. But if you didn't do it at work and you have faith in them, why are you doing it now? Sure. I think you bring up a great point because, you know, I I think where we've gone, like we had all this equity, like relationship equity before, right? Yeah. And team equity and whatever you want to call it. And then we get into the COVID world and people are working from home and we're busy and now we're overwhelmed. There's no boundaries between when we're working, right? So what I think what happened and what I'm seeing is that people will hop on a Zoom call and like, like let's say you and I hop on a Zoom call for business, right? Most people are like, okay, Ragu, it's, you know, it's 9 a.m. Let's get started. I got 30 minutes with you. You don't even like stop and say, hey, how are you doing? Like, how's, how's life, right? It becomes even more sterile and, and down to business. And, and I think like, to your point, it's like, you can have all the technology in the world to like monitor people. And I think it's important to have like mechanisms to like monitor results, monitor work, whatever, right? Yeah. Cause you, you want to say, Hey, these are the results that we're, we're trying to go for. And like, let's measure them and, and track yeah. them and, and hold each other accountable and empower accountability. But I, I think even if you have like a robot in somebody's office and had a camera on them and it had a microphone and is watching their screens and is capturing like screenshots of what they're working on. Like people are going to either circumvent the process. They're going to figure out, they're going to say, okay, I'm going to have my work computer over here. And then I got my personal computer over here. Right. Or they're going to say, you know what? I'm not working for you. You're a total jerk. Right? Like I'm not going to work in this like prison where you're like watching over me. And so it's like, 
how do you motivate people from the heart? So when nobody's looking, they're like, you know what? I'm going to bust my butt for Ragu because I love this man and I respect him and I want to do a good job because I believe in not, not only him, but also the organization's purpose because it aligns with mine. Like, how do you get that like inside uh, motivation, that heart to come out in people rather than trying to control by fear? Because if, if you try to control through fear and other tactics, yeah, it, it's, it's not sustainable. Right. And they're going to do the bare minimum just to get by, to not be like living in fear or, or whatever. Controlling by fear is a losing proposition. Mm-hmm. You'll work for a day, a week, a month, and then the employee is going to get up and say, hey, nice knowing you. I'm going to go someplace else. Sure. And so w- what that points to is primarily a cultural issue. Right? How much trust do you show? How much trust is coming through to the employees? Not just I say all the right words, but do I actually do my actions support my words? And is that the stuff that the employees care about? So if it was COVID and you're asking them to, yeah, you're, you put out a press release, yes, you're allowing everybody to work from home and whatnot and stuff. And then you're sending a message, a memo to the employees, like, hey, if you're not in the office, vaccinated and all that good stuff, you're going to get fired. Well, look, I see through it as an employee <laughs> and, and I need to walk the walk and talk the talk. So it has to be connected and not just connected, but connected in a way that means something to me yeah. as an employee, as a team member. And once you address that, once you connect at that level, so we, we've been doing surveys as to what, how can we positively impact your life while we are in lockdown? Mm-hmm. And we listen to that and we're actually taking action around it. Doesn't mean that the action happens tomorrow and you know it's like, you got unlimited budgets to do these things and stuff. You know, being a CFO, you understand that clearly. You have all these restrictions, limitations on any company to be able to execute. But actually laying out a plan that the employees think like, oh yeah, okay. I see it's going to happen in 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is. But they are working towards it. They are actually listening to my opinion. And that allows them to stay connected. That allows them to show that, listen, this is not just a management team sitting in their ivory tower. This is a management team that actually communicates, having an open door policy. Now, not everybody can walk into the CEO's office and in larger companies where you know CEO is in city A and you're in city B, but open door policy can mean a lot. I can send you an email sure. at my convenience. And you're not going to take it negatively saying, what the hell, you're criticizing me? I'm going to fire you. Or just saying, oh, I see. Let me think about it. Let me do the right thing. Maybe I do have a habit of making a mistake or doing something, poking my nose. I use that as an example, right? Nobody's going to get hurt, but it is very offending. Sure. Okay? So yes, I need to change that habit. And, and when you have that happening, then the team, the employees feel like, yes, I have faith in this guy that he's going to do the right things. We're all humans. We will make mistakes, hopefully not significant mistakes as a leader, hopefully Nothing that impacts has a big negative impact, but we're listening to you. We're focused on what you are saying to us. Sure. And, and I think that's so important. And I mean, you know what, the, the two things that I'm focused on right now in my personal life, and I think this spills over into our conversation and into my professional life is empathy and compassion. Do you think that makes me a wimp? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually that makes yeah. you a human that cares about other people. Versus just a human that says, what do I care? I have a good life. I have a big house. I have 17 rooms in my house. 
I can go in any room and work. I don't care that you have a one bedroom and you have a little kid crying there. Shut him up. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I joke with you. I don't think I'm a wimp. I actually think these are good attributes to focus on. Um, but it's funny, Absolutely. like, it's almost like empathy and compassion. It's like, what are you, you turning soft on me here? You know, you need to be, the, you need to be this like hardcore executive guy, right? But, but I think here's, here's my thought. So, you know, you draw a circle on a piece of paper, okay? So you draw like a size of a basketball, and um, in the middle, you take your pen, right? You just take your pen and you, you put a dot on there. Mm-hmm. And that's how much we know about people's lives. And, and you say, yeah. okay, well, I know, you know, I, I'm really close with this person. Okay, draw, you know, fill in a circle the size of a marble, you know, somebody you're really close with. But it's like, we know, sure, some things about people's lives, but we don't know their feelings. We don't know their thoughts. We don't know their circumstances. And even if I said, you know what, Ragu? what you're explaining to me, like what you're dealing with right now in your personal life. Like I have a friend who went through the same thing. That's not even true. Right? Like, even if it's the same exact circumstance, like, Oh, I have a friend who had cancer. This person had cancer. Oh, let me try to give advice and share, you know, like some helpful tips. It's like, they, they, they don't even relate, even though they had different or same circumstances is totally different. Right. The experience. So to me, I'm like, Empathy, if I, if I want to be a better leader, if I want to drive growth within organizations and like truly transform them, and I'm not talking about like the turn, turnarounds and transformations where you go in and you just cut the staff, you fix the profit short term, and then the thing blows up in a few years. I'm talking about like true resilience, long-term growth, or if I want to build good relationships with people that are like meaningful, it's like, you have to start with empathy because that circle is so yeah. big and we know so little. And it's like, who are we to judge people? Who are we to not like try to understand their perspectives? And, and like, who are we to be dogmatic in our viewpoints? Like, where is that going to get us? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, you know, that, that, that is a very important point you're making about empathy and compassion, because ever since I became a manager and I would allow, I, I would have on the calendar, a one-week, one-hour session with each of my direct reports. And I said, this is your time. You tell me. We will discuss whatever you want to discuss. I had a team member one time. Uh, she had a 18-year single mom. She had an 18-year-old daughter who was doing drugs and running away from home, coming back and stuff. I clearly understood whatever is happening at her house would impact work. Because she's so stressed at home, she can't really focus at work. And if she's having a bad day at work because I walk out and I yell and scream at her for some mistake or whatever, she's going to go yell and scream at her kids. Mm -hmm. That piece, that open dialogue about, tell me more about your life, tell me more of what's happening and both at work and at home allows you to make that dot a little bigger. I don't think we can ever get it to the basketball sides, right? That ain't going to happen. You have to marry them or go live with them or something like that. That ain't going to happen. But if you can grow that dot a little bit bigger, then they actually feel connected with you. And, and we had a situation not too long ago where one of the employees called up Gita, who's my wife and who's also our COO, co-founder, called her up and said, hey, listen, I'm going to leave Global Upside and I'm going to go do this other thing. And I'm like, she said, why are you doing this? What's wrong? Because she could hear something in the voice. Find out he had an argument and a fight with his wife. And Gita walked him off the ledge and he's like, yeah, this is great. The problem was some disagreement with the wife. And it wasn't even like, okay, now you should get a a divorce. It was just like, okay, you know, calm down. Think about it. 
And those are the, that's empathy. That's compassion you're showing for your, and I wouldn't even say for your employee, for a fellow human being. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Because a divorce isn't necessarily the right answer for every couple. Mm-hmm. It's like staying married isn't the right answer for every couple either. Sure. But let's look at it with a little bit of a cooler mind. Pay attention to what they're saying and, and react and interact with them in that situation. I can never say if I was in your shoes, I would have done this. Really? Sure. Do you know everything that happens in, in my shoes? Right. Give all size, correct? No, yeah. you don't. But help me understand what, why I am going down a wrong path or what should I do differently and things like that, which actually then change the outcome. And then I do care about what you're saying. Yeah. And I think when people know that you care, people yeah. are going to do more for other people than they do for themselves. I mean, let's face it. Like sometimes we like self-sabotage ourselves. Right. <laughs> and, and I, I think it's, I think like, I know I would do more for a friend sometimes than I do for myself. Right. And I, I think that's just like human nature where we want to go out and help people and do so much for other people. Yes. And I, I think that's how we, we make progress, um, you know, in this life and in business. So let me, let me switch gears here for a second you know, let's talk about just like economics and just the future. So like when you think about uh, like everything that's going on, so we talked about private equity, how that's like really hot. Um, We talked about like businesses are doing well. There's a lot of cash in the marketplace. So when you think about like the economic future of things, like, are you optimistic? Are you cautious? Like where, like, where does your mind go when you think about the future? And, you know, with the caveat that, Hey, you and I, we don't know with the crystal ball, like, when is the next recession, depression, or whatever coming around the corner? Um, so obviously, we we don't know what twists and turns we're going to run into. But just overall, like what what's your your thinking? I think the best leaders in my mind are very optimistic, and it doesn't mean that the optimistic the optimism is just blind. Right? You need to look for opportunities where none may exist. So if I if I just rewind to about a year ago, eighteen months ago. When we went to lockdown, one of our divisions, uh, the staffing division, started to do very poorly. People weren't hiring, people weren't looking. There's no temp business, things like that. It didn't go down to zero, but it dropped significantly. Sure. Well, there's a simple answer. You're a CFO, you understand this. Let's lay off 20 people because you're going to start losing money. Well, is that the right answer? And we, we went through the whole pandemic without firing anybody, without giving a pay cut to anybody. I said, we have the means. Okay, fine. We may end up losing money this year, which we didn't, by the way. We still made a profit. Um, But if we end up losing money, that's okay. Because it's a short-term phenomenon. Nobody knew when COVID was going to end. I mean, 18 months later, we still started this conversation with where are we on COVID, right? But to be able to see that at some point when this thing slows down, dies, whatever that final outcome is, we're going to come out at the other end with a much stronger team. A team that is a lot more committed to us as, as a group because they see that when times got tough, we just didn't say, oh, we'll take the short, easy answer. We'll fire half the team. And they stuck to it. And, and what happens is and that's cautious optimism because you never know how long this is going to last, right? But cautious optimism, but also having that faith in yourself that you can go through this, endure this, and come out at the other end st- still strong, still standing. Because what if we lost all our money? We lost, you know, a bunch of millions of dollars. What would happen then? But having that and, and constantly monitoring it. Because if you actually see that this COVID isn't dying and business isn't picking up and things like that, okay, maybe we at some point do need to let people. 
And our biggest expense is people. Sure. 80% of our cost for this company is people or people related. So you kind of have to focus on that and be strategically, very cautiously optimistic. Because if you're not optimistic as a leader, I think, well, we're going to die tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> very, very dear, very, very, very dark uh, outcome. But, you know, that's how you think about it if you're a pessimist. Sure. There's no future. I totally agree. And, and I like that perspective. And, and look, hey, it's, it's been great like having this conversation with you. A lot of key takeaways. You know, I, I like how we started off talking about like the numbers and like how do you tell the story behind yeah. the numbers and how do you like advance relationships? And then you know, we talked about like the input versus the output and just in, in your whole mindset on like people and like, you know, how do you motivate people through the right means, like caring about them, like having those conversations, I, I think is really critical. So I, I think you're doing great work, you know, and I'm excited for what you're doing you. and, and for your company, Global Upside. And, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And, you know, I, I just wish you all the best and I hope you can continue to go out there and, you know, impact these people's lives through the things that you're doing. I, I think that's really um, exciting and inspiring to me. No, thank you for the opportunity. Love talking to you, you know, as a CFO and uh, we've both been in those roles, but now as a CEO, I mean, it's, it's nice to say things that, you know, you can kind of like, you can relate to because you've done these things in your past uh, in possibly some form or the other. And, you know, it's, it's just really honor to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Raghu. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at I would love to connect. All the best.